This is Kevin Campbell and you're listening to Chewing the Cud with the Irish Toffees. Come on, you blues. Welcome along, folks, to a special episode of Chewing the Cud. Um, uh, I'm sure a lot of you out there know there's an extant BBC podcast series called Everton. Nothing would be the same. Uh, it's basically BBC followed Everton for nine to ten months, uh, kind of behind the scenes access. And if you haven't listened to it, just, just give it a go. It's absolutely, really, really is very, very interesting, especially the behind-the-scenes access that was given. And I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by the uh, series producer, Julia Bold. Good afternoon, Julia. Oh, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on. And that was a lovely intro, so I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, like it's, Again, it's been a few weeks since the podcast. I think it was the start of October it came out. And we had to put the interview off. Obviously, the sad news of Bill Kenwright passed away and so on. So um, uh, I'm glad you could join us today. Eventually, we got around to it. And again, excuse me, cold. I'm smothering with a cold the last two or three weeks. It's just, it's just nuts. Um, so basically, we start off. How did this idea of the series come about? Oh yeah, it feels like a long time ago now since I first went in. It was about this time last year that I first went in. So yeah, obviously, there's a there's a conversation that happens between the BBC. It was with BBC Studios and Everton, and it was decided a podcast series would be done inside the club which was a first as well. So that was interesting. Yeah, my name got put in the mix and it all happened pretty quickly within sort of a matter of weeks of me getting a call saying, do you fancy going inside Everson? I was like, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we went in. Frank Lampard was obviously the manager at that point. It was just as the season had stopped for the World Cup break, mm-hmm. uh, which was unusual in itself. So that felt quite a nice thing to go in there and start with that because we've never really had that before. And I'm unsure if we'll see it again. Um, yeah, and I think most of us thought we would be looking at how Frank Lampard was going to rebuild the club after the relegation battle the previous season and you know what was going to go on. And yeah, that's how it all came about. And obviously that's not what happened. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't really write what's going on. We'll get into it, but it was just literally gold us from a journalist's point of view, I'd, I'd say. But um, like you started in November, was, I think it was just after the double defeat to Bournemouth, the, the league in the cup, and things weren't going right. And uh, was it was it a good time or a bad time to go in? Yeah, the double Bournemouth week. I think uh, director of football Kevin Thelwell calls it that in the series, doesn't he? Um, yeah, do you know what? It felt a good time because it felt a reset. Obviously, the the first team, anyone that wasn't involved in the World Cup, they all went off to Australia for a bit of a tour there. And, you know, and it was about expanding the Everton brand as a business. And, you know, it is, it's a global brand as well at the end of the day. So it didn't feel... It didn't feel a, a difficult time in there. And as everyone slowly started coming back into Finch Farm the training ground where where I was most days. It didn't, yeah, it didn't feel a negative atmosphere. It didn't feel massively untoward. I think with hindsight, looking at it now, you can probably say, should a change have happened then? Would that have helped? Um, But no, it didn't feel that way. Everyone was certainly behind Frank. You know, the staff really liked him. He, He was very approachable, really. If anyone saw him, it didn't matter what department they were in. He would speak to them. You know, I know that the women's side, you know, they would speak to him as well. It's very much an open door policy at, at Finch Farm. Anyone speaks to anyone. There's not a hierarchy, really. And, you know, that's a really nice way for it to run. So, yeah, it felt it felt positive. It felt like it was going to be a reset, a regroup, restart on the Boxing Day and results would pick up. Obviously, 
they didn't though so that's what we now know but it, it certainly didn't feel negative at the time no yeah. well people kind of guarded at first when when you went in like I, I don't mean guard them might be a bit strong but were they wary of kind of opening up to you um I, th- I think I think as people got more used to me I think they definitely became a lot more honest I never felt like anyone was being, you know, hiding behind a corner if they saw me and, and thinking, oh, yeah. I don't want to see her. <laughs> like, here she comes, avoid her and running, like, ducking into into cupboards and things. I didn't get that vibe. Um, obviously, everyone in the club knew what I was there to do. People outside didn't. That was probably the biggest issue was trying to keep yeah. a secret. A lot of people had no clue that I was in there and keeping your mouth shut for that amount of time, particularly when... You know, it, it was the top sports story at the end of the day for months, wasn't it, Everton? Everton were constantly in the headlines. And the amount of people who said to me, oh, they've missed a trick here. Imagine if there was a series inside the club right now. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, imagine that, thinking, oh, my God, that's, I can't say anything. But no, I, you know, Frank was really accommodated. Really, I have to say that he was, he he kind of got got what it was about really and I was allowed I certainly had access to go to training I was in most of the training sessions I wasn't included obviously I wasn't doing the drills that would have been ridiculous but you know <laughs> I was allowed in the training sessions um there was a behind closed doors game against Aston Villa uh the week before Christmas um mm. at Goodison and I got a text I think it was the morning of it actually saying Frank said would you like to come and, and watch the game which was an amazing experience in itself because we were inside Goodison and there was literally two Premier League teams two Premier League managers and that was it and me and a couple of staff with a cup of tea watching so that was very odd um yeah so he certainly got it you know he, he obviously you hear him on it so you know he he spoke quite openly on the podcast um not just about football about what he learned about Merseyside and, and people living in in the area as well which was great so yeah I didn't get that I think though as I went on and things became trickier outside the club anyone that was inside Finch Farm it certainly felt like everyone was sticking together at that point so I think because I'd been in there quite a bit of time I wasn't dropped in when things were going wrong I was kind of there beforehand so they were quite used to seeing me and being in the canteen and things so yeah I was very lucky really. (laughs) Obviously a couple of episodes into the series Frank left and was it was the project under under threat at any stage during that no it was like it was a rocky rocky period yeah I mean to be honest with you the whole thing was really let's face it going right down to the last game and I mean you probably have to ask the club at the end of the day if they had any concerns um you know for me I was just going to keep in there as long as I could I did probably I think I, I say it in the series to Mark Chapman there was a couple of times where I thought, I wonder if I'm going to get to the security gates and they're going to say, not today. <laughs> but they didn't, in fairness. Um, you know, and I think that the club deserves a lot of credit for that because there would be there would be clubs that would probably have a meeting and say, we need to stop this now because this is not what we signed up to. It's not going according to plan. So I think the club should, you know, get a lot of credit there. And I know a lot of answers to questions that were being asked are now in that series as well. So people can hear what it was like and, and, you know, how seriously everyone was taking it. I think sometimes people question, don't they? Just generally, you know, how much footballers care about things. And I think you hear in the series how much, you know, the guys as they're speaking, you know, it, it consumes the life. It's it's an everyday thing. So, yeah, I mean, for, for me personally, just being in there doing what I was, you know, tasked to do, it, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, and it did feel like there was something 
every few days at one point. January was really hard. And mm-hmm. and what shocked me was um, how quickly everything moves on when a manager goes. I, I've never seen Frank Lampard again. I've never... Yeah, he was sacked after the West Ham game, which was away. And I was in Finch Farm on the Monday morning. I've never seen him again. And and everyone has to move on quickly. And and that's just football because you haven't got time to dissect what's going on. It, it's it's bizarre. It's, I don't think it would happen in many other walks of life, but it just changes very quickly. Yeah. I suppose it needs most. You have to just just get it done and like like a plaster, just pull it off and get yeah. it off. <laughs> very much that way. Pull the plaster off very quickly. <laughs> Obviously, then Sean Dice came in and uh, you interviewed him a couple of times. But he came across, I mean, he's just so relaxed, isn't he? He's just, I mean, he spoke about uh, living with Ian Wong and, and, and then Glastonbury as well. I mean, he's just, <laughs> like, sometimes you say, is he like manager of this club? He's just so, not that he doesn't take it serious, obviously, but he's just so relaxed and nothing seems to phase him. Yeah. And I think people have seen a very different side to him when they've listened to the podcast series, because as you say, yeah, there's a lot of sides to him and they're all really, you know, he's got a lot of different interests outside of football. And I think that's probably how he switches off. I think if you were immersed in it that much, just talking tactics, especially as his, as his best friend is also his assistant manager. And right now they live in Liverpool. They go out for meals. If you look on social media, sometimes there's, you know, they've stopped for pictures in restaurants. They're accessible in, in the city. They're out and about and it would get, very consuming and probably quite stressful if that's all you talked about. Um, and that was one of my favourite days in Finch Farm, I'll be honest, when I was sat with Ian Wone and, and Sean Dice, just talking about their relationship, how they met. Um, it was fascinating and I, I laughed a lot in that. They were very funny, very dry sense of humour, which I really like. And I think what's interesting now is we're talking, what are we now, middle of December and, and the night after the Newcastle game as well which we're both a bit shattered by I think because it was just you know <laughs> it was an incredible result a 3-0 win over Newcastle which nobody would have predicted and I think what you're seeing is it's coming into fruition now what you heard in the series how Sean Dyche takes the emotion out of it and and he said to me and it pretty early on from when he arrived he's never too high after a win you know he certainly won't be celebrating today after he won't be getting carried away after that win over Newcastle and he's never low when things are going wrong He's never low. He wouldn't have been massively low after the 3-0 defeat, you know, that Man United at Goodison recently as well. So I think it's taken a while for people to get that and go, well, how do you take the emotion out of him? But he's really good at the sports psychology side. And he keeps even that final few weeks in May where it was a battle and it was coming down to the last game. I can honestly say inside Finch Farm, it was calm. As soon as you drove out of there, I could see all the TV cameras and everybody talking about it and people turning up to press conferences and, you know, you put the radio on or the TV on or, or you're reading, you know, online. All all the stories about Everton, it would have been the biggest story the Premier League had seen for quite some time if Everton and the worst had happened and relegation would have happened. But inside Finch Farm, the managers just managed to keep it really calm Everybody was, you know, knew what they had to do. And um, yeah, I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> it's just like a, a bubble where everything else around just doesn't matter. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely like that. And and I, th- I think you hear the location in it as well. The, the ground staff, Mark, the head groundsman says, it's yeah. like a world in its own. If you drove past, you probably wouldn't know it's there. Mm. Apart from there is a big blue security gate and a little security hut there. 
it's surrounded by trees. It's got its own, um, I'm no plant expert, but it's got all, you know, like it's got a pond, it's got all the trees. It's, It's set back. You're in a world of your own when you're in there and you don't need to leave. You can get fed in there, you know, and and I think that played into it. And and Daish was able to tap into that and say, this is our world. This is how we take it on. And when we're in here, we're all together and we just focus on what we've got to do. It's normal work day. You know how to play football. These are the tactics and that's what we'll do. I mean, how he does it and how, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Seamus says uh, later on, speaking to him, so we weren't actually really calm, but you just have to believe you're calm. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's like, I just couldn't get, well, I couldn't, I couldn't understand the calmness of, of him and others. But it's just, as fans, obviously, we're, we're going through the ringer. I mean, it's just, it just looks, it's like an episode of East Enders every week. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. But, an uh, omnibus edition. <laughs> but, like, from a fan's point of view, it was a horrible, horrible time. But from a journalistic side of things, it must have been, it must have been like, this is gold dust. I mean, this is absolutely. Uh, yeah. Oscar winning stuff, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can now, being in there, (laughs) I'll be honest with you, there were some days where I felt like having a meltdown as well. It was really stressful in there. And for me, just thinking, oh, goodness me. And I knew I had, yeah, journalistically, I knew I had one shot to get all this. I had one chance to get each piece of recording in those moments because it only Mm. happened once. Um, So I certainly felt the stress. It was the biggest thing I've ever done. Um, Yeah, as as a journalist, yeah, certainly it was the story of sport wasn't it at the time and you know I don't think you'll ever get a situation where it's not just on the pitch where the stories were happening was it it was Mm. it was all around the club whether it was you know fans meeting and protesting about they felt they were unhappy with how the running of the club was happening and then you know the board are putting out statements and then the board aren't at games as well there's a managerial sacking nobody arrived in the January transfer window but a big name player in Anthony Gordon was sold and that was all to do with the finances as well which then came into play and and is still in play right now yeah it, it was it had everything, I think, didn't it? I don't think there was well, much that didn't happen. <laughs> obstacle after obstacle, it was just like it, when something else seems to be getting resolved, something else comes around the corner. It, it was just, well, it still is a crazy time, but we we, we leave that down the road. Um, obviously, you spoke to everyone. I mean, from uh, Mo at reception, like that was that was just brilliant. I think I it was her, was it was her when she was leaving. Uh, it was her retirement party, or yeah, uh, yeah, retired. That was the last week of the season. So the Wednesday yeah. before the final game, she retired. That was her last day in there. And I still keep in touch with Mo. Actually, even now, I still keep in touch with Mo. Yeah, I keep in touch yeah. with a lot of people. Actually, I made a lot, a lot of friends. Um, oh. that I still, if I spoke to Mo only last week. So yeah, <laughs> she was lovely. Yeah, but the, you spoke to obviously everyone from like you mentioned the grounds might have but. From a selfish point of view, from our side, I mean, it's just the man. The, like, I'm I'm of an age where Mr. Everton for me was was Mick Lyons. But this generation, Mr. Everton is Seamus Coleman. He's just, I mean, he just, he's Everton rolled into one person. Which yeah. is just, it, it, like I said, it's kind of selfish from our point of view because we get it for Ireland as well. But, I mean, he's just, and he's so down to earth. That's yeah. the thing about him. He just, he, I remember Darren Griffith saying in an interview, he's the same, same as Combe to walk into Everton 15, 16 years ago. 
Yeah, don't call him a legend though, because he'll go mad. <laughs> I saw him after the series came out, and I thought he's going to kill me because this legend thing has gone huge online. And I was, I'm so sorry. He was like, "Don't worry about it." But yeah, he, he's very. Um, that's it. That's who he is. There is there is no side to him. You turn the microphone off, and he's exactly the same person. There is literally no side. He's the most unfootballer footballer <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've ever met you know he he's he's about you know he's like Daish's now he, he also lives in the city and that's still relatively unusual because Merseyside I think it being so close to the leafy Cheshire areas where footballers kind of tend to to go it, we're not too far from there Seamus decided he was going to live in the city centre he didn't have to do that um and and he's and he's about in the you know you see him about he's not hidden away he's he's in the park he, he's Kids go to clubs locally, he takes his little lad to football and, you know, he's perfectly approachable. He's not bothered, but nobody felt the burden more in there than he did. Mm. Definitely. There was nobody that felt the situation. And and, and I think he says, doesn't he, when I spoke to him in the summer, it, he felt it was two years of of constant, you know, headlines and trying to fight to keep the club in the Premier League. And then and then the worst case scenario for him was he couldn't even help at the end of the season. And I know he felt that a lot. And we saw what happened at Leicester when he was on the stretcher. And as we're talking now, we're talking the day after the Newcastle game and we've just seen him come back and put in a great performance for the first time. I mean, he pocketed Anthony Gordon, didn't he? So... <laughs> like, he, he just... His energy, not just his passion for the club, but just his energy on the pitch, it's just non-stop. It's it's just like it, if someone didn't tell his age, he's oh he's twenty four, twenty five. He's just <laughs> and he's at it. And and not, and the thing I like about him now, he's he's grown into like he doesn't mind giving out to people. Like he oh yeah, he's a look like you said, he's a lovely, lovely man. But like if you do something uh, which I'm not supposed to do on the pitch, he won't be shy exactly. about. Come, oh, absolutely. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll tell you. And and also in in the training in the nicest possible way, he's a leader. In that training ground, and that was his, that became his role, unfortunately, because he, at the end of the season he he couldn't impact anything on the pitch. Mm. He, there was a lot of conversations going on, and he was he'd just be walking about, making sure. Obviously, you know, he'd had his knee in a brace by that point, but he'd just be there, you know, on hand for anyone that needed to speak. And and you know, I, I know Sean Dyche relied on him as well to to get through to players what it would mean if the worst case scenario happened, mm. and. You know, he says in the series, you know, he was just talking to people saying, think of all the people that have sacrificed things for your career. So whether it was your parents or your family in, in your house right now, or and that's how he used it. He used, you know, people's personal experiences. And yeah, he is Mr. Everson, isn't he? I think he's two now off, as we're talking now, he's two off the Premier League record. So yeah, he will beat Tim Howard, who was a keeper. So that just shows you, doesn't it? You know, 15th season as well. Yeah, he's Mr. Everton and he will go down as Mr. Everton. He'll hate that, but... <laughs> he might take that over legend. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll ask him, do you prefer Mr. Everton or legend? Yeah, ask him from a distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'll tell me off again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, obviously then, the, the, the Bournemouth game, the last match of the season, I mean, what, I, mean it was, I was there, it was just... Uh, it's horrible... Brilliant, amazing relief. Everything rolled into one. It was just—I've never actually heard a noise like that at Goodison. Really, yeah. really, because and and people talk about oh, the ground was shaking. It literally was shaking that day. 
yeah. It, it, do you know, I was talking to someone last night at the game who who was near me and they were near me on that, that last game. And we were saying, I don't even know what that noise was. It was almost like when something's so loud, you can't hear it because it's so loud. It was the oddest, do you know what I mean? It was like some kind of weird vortex of noise. And I think Tark, he says when I found him in the tunnel afterwards and he says, I don't know what that feeling was. It was a real out of body experience when that goal went in. It was the oddest thing. And then it was like time stood still, didn't it? Where that second half, I think there's 33 minutes left and then they put the board up for 10 minutes. And I've never known time stand still like that. I've never known anything like it. (laughs) And obviously I I was there as well thinking, you know, I've got all my recording kit in the bag. And I'm thinking, I don't, still don't know. I never signed up to the series. I genuinely never signed up to do the series thinking I would get to that final day at the end of May and not know how the series was ending. I thought I would have known how it was going to end. And I didn't. I had absolutely not the foggiest. Turned up at, at Goodison at midday that day. I thought, I have no clue how this is going to end. And I just... Yeah, I was just going to say, from your perspective, what, what did it feel like, like thinking possibly that this Awful. series could end in, in relegation? <laughs> Yeah, awful. And that's not the end of the... I mean, you know, if you look at it very... You know, as a a piece of journalism, there was a story there anyway. The story had unfolded and there were so many twists and turns that by the time it got to the the final day of Bournemouth, you know, it was... There was already that many twists and turns. I don't think you could have scripted it. Um, So it probably, you know, looking at it very coldly didn't really matter. But obviously I I didn't want the worst case scenario to happen. And and it would have made it harder just as a piece of journalism to, you know, people are not going to want to speak and be open about how they feel. It's hard, you know, seeing how, you know, going back to Frank, seeing how it impacts him, you know, as he's getting asked really tough questions for weeks on end in press conferences. And then he has to go into training and then he has to go into meetings. And that's hard when you see how it impacts you as a human person. It doesn't matter who you are at that stage. And that's really difficult. And I kept thinking that on the last game, you know, and, you know, you talk about Seamus there. He he absolutely did. You know, I, I kept thinking, I don't want to see him, you know, have to deal with that. And I don't want to see the manager have to deal with that and the players. So, yeah, it was a lot of stress, <laughs> a lot of stress, <laughs> a lot of relief. Um, and it was really interesting though as well. There was no celebrations in that tunnel. There was no, yeah, yeah it was, was not. It was the same in the stands because I know there was a few people on the pitch, mm. but the main feeling I got after the day, even afterwards, back in the, in the wind so usually it's like stay up. Yeah, but it was just, it was just like a thank God that's over. It was, re- it was really just a, a like a deep exhale of breath. And, okay, now we can actually start to enjoy ourselves a bit. Yeah, and and I think as well it was a case of having been there 12 months earlier and feeling that that was a one-off, a bit of a novelty factor, a bit that, you know, this what happened. And then it was the realisation that this this has happened again. And also, and I think it was a fear creeping in already that is this where Everton are now? Is this is this how it is? Is this is it going to be constant relegation battles? And, you know, I think everyone knew that the, the you know, the financial... Uh, situation was hanging over them and we now know sat in December where that is currently and is still ongoing so I think it was just sort of a realization and, and when Mark Chapman came into Finch Farm in in June um, and he spoke to the director of football Kevin Thelwell you know Kevin says that he says I can't promise this won't be the situation we don't know and it, and it is 
you know, a lot of sticking plaster stuff and it's getting t- and and I think the best manager you can have in there right now is Sean Dyche for that very reason. He's he's unfazed. <laughs> he's unfazed by the headlines. I did a press conference, I think it was last week, and I actually said to him, Is it is it draining? And he just sort of laughed and went, I'm just used to it now. <laughs> it's it's again, it's it's mad how he can be so switched off. I'd love to be able to do that. I really, really. You know, I wish we could bottle it. I wish whatever it was, you could just bottle some dice, and yeah. and and then you know, and everyone, you just when you're having a stressful moment, just have like a little teaspoon of dice, and you'd be for a bit of med- medicine, whatever it is. <laughs> maybe not a teaspoon, <laughs> maybe a pint. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Maybe that's all it is. <laughs> Glass of red wine. I think that's what he has. That spread. It's obviously spreads to the to the players. It, it's just relaxed. Don't get me wrong. He's still fully focused on, on winning and getting results. But it obviously spreads to the players because you can see it now. Players seem more relaxed. Yeah, I think I think there's a plan. I think they know that what he's doing. And also, I think it's interesting when you hear it, obviously, because I was in there and I could see him in action and I could see what he was saying to me and all that kind of stuff. And now when I see him operating, I can see it all coming into action. So if if you watch, he isn't too high after an interview if there's a win and he isn't too low and he certainly doesn't throw any players under the bus either. He's not blaming anyone and it's equally, he's not bigging anyone up to the max either. So there's no sort of standout person that he's always saying they're brilliant or or they need to up their game. It's always very level. He takes it on board himself. He answers the questions and... Yeah, I think he's very good at that, deflecting things. And, you know, and, and I really enjoyed, one of the bits I really enjoyed was in the tunnel after and, and and I got to him and spoke to him and he's reflecting on the press conference ahead of Bournemouth. And he says to me, did you hear them asking me that we weren't the favourites? And I thought that was a really insightful moment where he actually let his guard down again and just sort of said, so obviously I knew he was quite upset some of the questions he got, but he knows it's the game and, it, and, and you know, he gets on with the journalists when the cameras go off. You know, he knows that's their job. And that, you know, that's that's unfortunately football, isn't it? He knows he's going to have to ask some really tough questions. But, yeah, I, I don't know how he does it. He says he's naturally that way. So he's always been that way. So I think that's just who he is. I think I remember, even when he was bombing the match, nothing seems to get to him, you know what I mean? And then, like, he's no problems at a press conference saying that's a stupid question what he asked me that for he, he, he just doesn't care not that he doesn't care he just it just seems so yeah whatever okay yeah get on with it i'm just doing my job which is just i don't know which i think we... he's good because i think i think frank was clearly a, you know he got on so well with you know players and people in there I think he became like everybody did so bogged down with the constant headlines and that's hard and, and, and he was a new manager he didn't have the experience you know with that his face as it was going along like he just he just aged in front of us didn't he, everyone <laughs> yeah, but he, like he just he got Everton and he loved Everton and he did I just I could just see him age in front of us and was, I felt so sorry for him in the end but Again, I think it had to be done. If, if yeah, I'm and, and I think it was hard because he didn't have masses of experience, did he, either? He was still very young. And maybe if he'd have had another 10 years under his belt, maybe he could have drawn upon that. And, yeah, I mean, I know he'd had sort of situations at Derby, but the level of pressure was not not there, was it? When it's Everton, it's a completely different thing. And, mm. yeah, the amount of TV cameras outside the training ground tells you that. <laughs> 
Yeah. The, the big thing to come out of the whole series for me was uh, just the honesty of everyone you spoke to, from from like Dice, James, all the way down to Mo. Uh, but the fact that you, I, I, I don't know whether people know, but you work in the fan zone on match day. Mm, yeah. But the fact that the fact that you worked within the club did that kind of put everyone at ease? Really, no, because I wouldn't. I don't really have day to day contact with anyone, so I was literally dropped in there. I'm not in Finch Farm. And also, I think I think uh, Mark Chapman describes Finch Farm. Usually, if you are part of the media, so when I go for Radio Merseyside, you go into the reception and you go right, which is straight into the press conference room, which is the one everybody sees on the TV with all all the you know the, the sponsors behind it and the desk, and that's it. That's the only place you go as as a as a journalist. You don't go any further. But doing this. I was beyond all that. So I was in the first team block. I was allowed in the manager's office. I was allowed in the players' canteen. I was allowed on the training pitches. So that's unusual. Um, I, I don't, I feel like I can't really, I don't know why they, they were so honest. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm I'm really thankful. Um, yeah, maybe they did. Maybe they, I don't know if they trusted me. I, I, you'd have to ask them. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I'll be forever grateful for them being really honest. And maybe as well, sometimes the, the week where there was no manager, for example, that was a really difficult week in there in January. There was no manager and the t- they have big TVs everywhere and, you know, it's showing sports news over and over again. And everyone's watching it play out. That's a really weird thing where you're watching them, watching it play out on the telly as well. And, you know, they're just there doing the job. They're getting to training. And and it was Paul Tate and Leighton Baines taking training at that point as well, because there was no manager. Um, But nobody spoke to anyone because it was um, an FA Cup weekend and Everton were already out the FA Cup. So there was no no journalists in there at all. There was only me in there. Um, yeah, to get them, I think maybe if you asked, I think it was Seamus that week that spoke. If you asked him now to talk about the week, he'd have a really different answer but to talk about it in the time, he was really honest about what it was like and, you know, how quickly you have to move on. And, you know, he felt for Frank, he did. And, you know, he said we weren't friends, but I feel heartbroken for him because nobody wants to see what happens. It's not a, not a nice situation for anyone. Um, and he's been through it quite a lot of times, hasn't he, Seamus? And he started under the Moyes era and there's been manager after manager through the door since then. Um yeah, I, I, I've no idea. I'm so grateful they were honest. I don't know. Maybe they trusted me. I don't know. <laughs> Happy smiley face coming in every morning. Took the took the weight of the world off their shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I felt like I was trying to do something. But I said, you know, when you're in there, you think, what can I do to help? Not much. Mm. <laughs> the, the final episode of the series where you interviewed uh, Colin Chong, that was probably my my favourite episode of this because he, he, he let us know an insight into the day-to-day runnings of the club. And it really was very, very interesting. All right, everything is going on outside the world, but still have to run a football club at the end of the day and obviously the stadium. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the stadium is coming on now. It looks like a stadium. It looked, you know, for a while, it just looked like a building site. Now it looks like a stadium. And, yeah, and I, and I don't think people realise the long hours that go into it as well. Mm. Like, I'd be there probably nine till six most days, and, you know, the manager, the director of football, CEO, if they were up at Finch Farm that day, would be there well before me, would arrive quite frequently at sort of seven, eight o'clock in the morning. I'd leave at six and they'd still be there. It's long days. It's long hours. There's a lot of meetings and it's 
all the things you don't think of sponsorship deals stakeholders need to have meetings you know you have meetings with the manager then you have meetings with the women's side the academy side you know if you're a ceo of a football club and the director of football there is a lot going on um i was at an under 21s game last week kevin thelwell was at that as well you know if you think he's doing the academy he's got the women's side he's got the first team there's a lot there it's a lot of hours yeah Exactly. Just an ongoing, it's a 24-hour job. Yeah. Just, and even in the summer, it doesn't really stop. You know, no. it all happens pretty quickly again. There's all the, you know, you're looking at deals, there's constant phone calls being made. Yeah, it's a lot of hours. It's an exhausting job. I'm not sure why anyone would do it. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be wouldn't be my cup of tea, to be honest. <laughs> uh, so what were your favourite and worst parts of the whole series? Um, I don't know if it was worth, I think the, the bit that was the hardest was in January because it did feel like every other day there was a headline um, happening and to see Frank sort of, you know, sort of how it all played out for him. He he was a really nice guy, he, you know, and people liked him and it wasn't for the want of trying. Um, he put in long hours and sometimes things just don't happen. And as you know, as you said it before, in football, you just sometimes have to make a change because it needs a change to happen. That was really difficult. That that month was, I think, not just the hardest of the project. I think it's the hardest thing I've ever worked on in those few weeks. It was really hard. And everyone was, you know, down in there at, at times and everyone was thinking. And I think around January, I think you'll know as an Everton fan, I think that was the realisation that that's it. It's a relegation battle now. And I think it was a, a realisation that, that that's where it was and that was the situation and you know, as results were getting, you know, points were coming up, becoming harder to get. It, it that was really difficult. So I won't class it as the worst, but I would say it was the hardest. Um, the best times in there were either I loved going in the kit room with Jimmy. I loved it. Oh. I loved being in there and Tony Sage. I loved being in there. And they would always make sure in the winter months I had extra stuff because they'd say, we need you to be warm out there. So yeah, I'd end up with about eight layers on, thanks to them. And they were lovely. Uh, Mo, I just as I say, I've kept in touch with Mo, kept in touch with, touch with Tony and Jimmy and all that. Um, yeah. yeah, Mo was lovely every day. She'd always make me a cup of tea when I got in. So I loved just spending time with her. Um, I, my favourite afternoon, if I had to pick one, if you made me pick one, would be with the manager and Ian Wone. I loved, I loved spending time with both of them. It was great. Um, and I'll and I'll never forget the Bournemouth game ever. Ever speaking to fans outside the Winslow afterwards, I think was brilliant. I loved that. I kind of loved that feeling as well beforehand. You hear Ryan and his dad, who flew over from Florida, just for literally twenty four hours to go to the game. Um, yeah, meeting people like that, all those kind of people, or Everton the community project. So many bits of it I've loved. It's been amazing. I mean, I didn't know how. I had no idea, and obviously when it just plopped onto BBC Sounds in October, had no idea. I was terrified. I didn't sleep the night before, I can assure <laughs> you. And I, I was I literally didn't sleep because it it went on at 6 a.m. and I watched each episode load and appear. And I just thought, oh here we go. I don't know. And yeah, I was terrified, absolutely terrified. So it, the whole thing was just an amazing privilege. I don't know if it I hope there's not a story like that with Everton again where it's constant stories. But yeah, it just so happened I was the one in there. <laughs> but it, you know, to, it's for people, you know, Jordan, Seamus, Dwight, Alex mm. Awobi, who's obviously now left, 
to be so honest, you know, I'm so I'm so thankful to them. It was it was a, it was great to be able to capture how they felt, and I think that was that was a privilege as well. Yeah, I was just gonna say when season two. <laughs> Everyone keep well. We did ask. We have put an extra one on. So if anyone's yes. listening, there were the 10 episodes, obviously seven were the, the story of the season and three bonus. There's now an episode 11, which is an extra bonus one. Just taking it up to date, really, and talking about what's happened with the uh, the points deduction, as which everyone knows, you know, And but obviously that's still ongoing. So who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I have one of these every year. I mean, it's just, it's just something happened all the time in Everton. We just, I just want the season where... It's a boring, we finished 12th and there's no drama. Yeah, although I'd like a season and, and you know, it's still on, it's still feasible this season where a trophy, Seamus gets his trophy, I have to say, that's, because, that's you know, you, you hear him saying that he will never give up that dream. And I think, you know, I don't know, his, his contract, he decided to stay. <laughs> he's got another year so he goes to the end of this season who knows what happens after that I don't know I, I've got no exclusive for you there I don't know he will assess that as and when mm. um, but I think if this is his last season I think for him to get that trophy I don't think there'd be anyone in football that wouldn't think let alone an Everton fan I don't think there'd be anyone in football he's very popular you know on the other side of the park as well say he lives in Liverpool and, and Liverpool fans have got a lot of respect for him as well so I think that would be a lovely way for if that if he decides that's it for him to go out that way, that's what I kind of want. <laughs> I'd like to do a bonus episode with that. That would be a lovely way to end it. <laughs> episode twelve, running around Remedy with the Cup and Seamus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, taking it into Calderstones Park where he walks walks the kids. <laughs> yeah. In the full of ladyboards. <laughs> he, he would, he, yeah, and and do you know what? He still wouldn't have it then. He was a legend, would he? But it would be maybe yeah, episode twelve, me arguing why he is a legend again. <laughs> Reading out tweets from people. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how interesting that would be. (laughs) Well, listen, again, anything which I could listen to Seamus all day. I mean, he's just, he just lives and breathes Everton Football Club. I'd say loads of times, we're we're not just a football club, we're a family. And he just epitomises everything that we want an Everton player to be. It's just, it's just, again, we, we, we kind of, we're greedy over here. We have my Irish captain as well, so it's just it's a double joy for us. Listen, yeah. Julia, thank you so much today. I mean, I know it's been a few weeks coming down the line, but things got in the way, but we finally got it done. Thank you so so much. Oh, and, it's, uh, thank you for honestly, thank you for speaking, and thank you for listening, and anyone that's listening to you. Thank you for people who've clicked on it, and I know people have done sort of two or three listens now. I hear from people that go, "I'm on my third go round." I think, wow, I never expected that, and I never expected any of this. I remember that. I remember the first day I went in there. I've never expected any of this. <laughs> was it draining actually? You know, yeah. afterwards when when you finished, yeah. and then obviously you had you had to keep it quiet. That that must have been kind of half the battle as well. Yeah, and I was going to press conferences with um, my local radio head on as well, and I'd have to think right. I can't ask a question about that because nobody knows. I, I'm, do you know what? I'm relieved now. I feel like I've had a secret identity. I feel like I don't know. I don't know if this is what. Clark Kent felt like or or what you know a spy feels I know because I felt like now I feel like it doesn't matter what I say I can say everything now and it's fine and yeah I mean the amount of people who went I had no idea you were in there um yeah that feels nice it was yeah it was draining it was draining and I can't lie there it was exhausting 
um, and right up to the point of it coming out. And I think even sort of the first few days where I didn't really know how people would react and then me going back into the club when I've been back in to do interviews and everyone's been great. Everyone in the club's listened to it. I know that when I went into Finch Farm the first time, that was a surreal experience. Um, So I know they've listened to it and yeah, they're they're happy with it. I know the players have listened, the managers listened. Um, Yeah, so that's been lovely. Yeah, Yeah. but it was exhausting. Absolutely. It was the most exhausting thing I've ever done. (laughs) I I must say, I'm not just saying it because you're on here. It was absolutely brilliant to listen to. I listened to the whole 10 episodes like back to back. I could yeah. not walk one night. I just sat and it was just unbelievable. Just the, the insight and the, and the openness of people. That was the main thing to come across from it. So, yeah, uh, and, and I think what it's done as well is um, people, you know, I think when people saw it appear, they said, oh, is it is it not cameras? And actually, I think people have fallen in love with this podcast format and and that's thanks to the incredible people, you know, that some very, very clever people at BBC Studios and BBC Sounds, you know, that make it sound, you know, you 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 feel like you're in there. And that's incredible. And I think Mark Chapman's incredible with the narration. I think he brings something to it that no one else could. So, yeah, I mean, I, I must say before before we finish, a massive thank you to everyone at BBC Studios, BBC Sounds. Mark Chapman and, of course, everyone at Everton, because without them and their honesty, it wouldn't have sounded anything like it did. So, yeah, big thank you to them as well. I'm I'm, I'm just so grateful. I feel like I need to thank everyone forever now. But, yeah, thank you to them because it was a massive team effort from everyone. Well, listen, don't be building yourself down. Thank you. And that was brilliant. It really, it really, and it was just it's like a fly in the wall. It really, that's the way it came across. And I think that's what makes it what it is. It's just like you're listening, you're earwig, and you're like you're not yeah. supposed to be there. Do you know? Yeah. What I mean? Good, good. Well, that's good then that you feel like you're in there. I'm now a very exhausted fly from it. <laughs> uh, okay, folks. So it's everything nothing will be the same. If you haven't listened to it, just give it a go. And if you have, just listen again because it's it's excellent. Julia, thanks so much for today. Thank you. Hopefully, speak to you again soon. See you in the fan zone someday. Yeah, definitely. Come and say hello. <laughs> bye bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in joining the Irish Toffee Supporters Club, just send an email to memberships at irish-toffees.com or visit our website www.irish-toffees.com. Up the toffees.